1: What is going on? Diesel Nation. We're excited to have you guys with us today on the diesel podcast. If you're watching this on YouTube and aren't subscribed, make sure and click the subscribe button, like, comment, and let us you know what you think about the episode. If there's a particular guest or topic that you'd like to have covered, we're always checking your feedback on there and love to be able to take your suggestions and then get them onto future episodes. Today I'm going to be joined by Dennis from Strictly Diesel, and I wanted to talk with him about some six liter 7.3 um, upgrade parts that they have, why manufacturing in-house is so important. And then one of the bigger topics in automotive, and especially diesel, which is competition versus collaboration between companies and how that can really help or hinder a business. So I'm really looking forward to getting his thoughts on that. Before we get to the podcast, I want to remind you, our friends over at Kershaw Knives have a 20% off-site wide code for you. Use code diesel2023 at kershaw.kaiusa.com. It's a great way to save some money, get some really cool gear. So if you're in the market for a knife or hunting, fishing, edc something around the job site they definitely got you covered with a bunch of new releases in 2023 so head on over check out their website and if you're in the market use code diesel 2023 and get 20 percent off your order all right let's get to today's podcast with dennis from strictly diesel and talking about 6073 upgrades manufacturing in-house and then his thoughts on competition versus collaboration. Dennis welcome back to the Diesel Podcast. I've been looking forward to chatting with you again since our last episode which if nobody has uh, seen that one or anyone who's watching hasn't seen it definitely go back check out our conversation with Dennis. We talk about power stroke parts and a ton of cool things. Today's gonna be a little bit different take and I think we're gonna really be gonna focus in on on some of the things we talked about last time. So I'm looking forward to chatting with you. Welcome back to the podcast.
0: Appreciate it. Glad to be
1: here. The uh, the, the big thing with manufacturing, because we hear that a lot, and I think as truck owners or truck enthusiasts, we hear about in-house manufacturing. I don't have a concept of it, really, but you have some really cool thoughts and some things that we can discuss to kind of shed a light on that, not just from like a business perspective, but actually what I would get as a truck enthusiast, you know, in a UPS or FedEx box that I order from you guys that I think will be really cool to chat about. So I wanted to ask you about that side, some things you guys have done to bring things in-house and what your thoughts are on it as far as growth, um, the product quality, the design, things you guys can do with it.
0: You bet. Uh, I mean, so I got into this game 20-something years ago now. We won't keep adding it up. I feel old, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but one of the very first things I did to, to, to get into this game was I was I started out by building a a silly little part that some people online liked, and and then I kind of built a diesel performance parts business around it, uh, and then in the process of doing that, then came up with other products that that got built and and branded under my own business, and I've been so I've been doing my own manufacturing for uh, 22 years or something like that um and so i've been doing it a long time but but when you say manufacturing you can be talking about a broad variety of different types of of process so i would design a part for example um and depending on what that part was then i'm there there were times when i made it myself in-house many many years ago our our first version of our fuel system products for the 7-3 trucks was uh, was hand-bent stainless tube sections and so I spent hours and hours and hours with with templates and and tubing cutters and and benders and everything else literally hand bending hand flaring and assembling all of those at some point I think I got smart and said okay I kind of need to have somebody do this on a machine it'll be you know more cost effective and more time effective for sure uh, and and move to cnc manufacturing so then i was no longer doing that personally myself in-house i had contracted that out to somebody Um, same kind of concept goes for hose assembly same kind of concept goes for billet aluminum parts or stainless steel parts or brackets uh, things that require uh, water jet laser um, machines. I didn't own, I designed the product. I do maybe the 2d cat. I'd, I'd run it to the, to the shop that that's going to do the cutting. I'd, you know, I'd go over to the bending place. that's going to do that, that part of the fabrication and we'd build a mock-up. And so for a long time, a lot of that stuff has been subcontracted to other small businesses right in my area. Uh, and I, you know, still considered manufacturing, but 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 ultimately, when all the parts came into my building, I was doing kidding and assembly um, and, and design, and somebody else was technically doing the manufacturing of of the of the different parts, the billet aluminum parts or the stainless parts or whatever else. Um, dealing with small companies small and local companies that I can drive to and and you know see my parts being made and everything else. I never really had a quality control issue. Um, but I guess if somebody were dealing with uh, you know somebody in a different part of the country or outside of the country, uh, if they chose to go that way, that would be a bigger uh, a bigger issue in terms of, of the types of inspections and quality control and everything you, you have to do. But uh, I've, I've always dealt with with locals as much as possible. Uh, and for sure 100% in the US um, and so i've been dealing with people who do the qc for me and I, and I almost never have an issue you know i mean anybody can be anybody can miss a part or whatever but but it's pretty rare that we have an issue with those types of products um, but it's you know it's also fairly expensive cuz you're paying each one of those pieces of the puzzle and they may and they're putting a markup on whatever that fabrication product is because they've got a business to run and they have to you know pay their staff and make money for their family and everything else and so we always had a desire to to bring something into in, in in house and and the cnc machining aspect of that was always the thing that made the most sense uh, the kind of space you need for a water jet or a laser is is different um you know and 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 we don't have a fabrication shop not that I couldn't you know make a corner of the of the building have welding and bending and everything but you know the but the cnc aspect of it always made the most sense to us uh, you know if we were going to have an opportunity to bring something in house that's what we would do so uh about a, a little over a year ago um we we did just that we actually hired the the machinist that's made our parts for the last 15 years and and, and bought a couple of his machines uh and and we've now got that stuff going on in the building uh, day in and day out. Uh, and, and we're actually doing all of our CNC machining manufacturing in-house now
1: 100%. Does it afford you opportunities both short and long-term as a manufacturer? I'm thinking of a couple different ways. One, I'm sure there's that initial investment, which is probably very expensive. But as you look long-term, eventually there'll, there'll be a point where machines are paid for and you're able to control costs better say than a third party and then the other aspect i think about it's kind of unrelated but um i think i can circle it back around is my uncle designs it has nothing to do with automotive at all but he designs product has it made and he went through this a long time ago and i remember one thing he told me was once I was able to bring things completely under my control, my creativity with this product and my ideas completely exploded versus before I was dependent on someone else's time frame, their cost. Sometimes I couldn't get things for a while. So now I can sit back and really enjoy, really tackle problems. So I was curious about those two aspects with your company and, and how it, uh, how it kind of circles back to that.
0: Well, on the cost aspect, there's certainly going to be an ROI point. Um, and, I I can't tell you, I have a, a, an exact date for when that's going to occur, but there was definitely an expense in buying a couple of good quality, you know, lightly used. Um, I mean, they're only a couple of years old, each, um, you know, pieces of CNC equipment and then the cost to move them and, and, and all the tooling and all the measurement equipment and all the stuff that goes, it's not like you just drop two machines in the building. You're up and running. Yeah. Uh, There's, there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of other stuff that goes with that. Um, and so, yeah, there's definitely going to be an ROI point. I also added staff. So I, you know, I, I have a, I have a, a machinist with many, many years of experience uh, on staff now. And so, you know, I used to pay him per part, you know, I, he, he would give me a quote, I would pay, you know, X dollars per part. I'd tell him I want hundred parts a month and hundred parts a month would show up and I'd pay the bill. Um, and now I've got, you know, him on staff and I've got his pay and, and all, the, all the expenses that go with payroll on top of I've got electric, uh, you know, and, and, and the, any maintenance on the machines, things like, you know, lubricants and, and all, the, all the other stuff that goes with all that. So we've added all that. So I'm not going to tell you it's easy and, and, and I certainly can't tell you I have a, an ROI date figured out or, or roughly, you know, at what point will be paid off. Um, you know, we're certainly working on that right now, but we're about, it it basically puts you by hand behind financially to absorb that cost. The second question is really what makes it worth doing. And that's the, the two parts, the ability to control everything, um, and, and the ability to be creative when you have an idea And, and, and we've seen both of those benefits already, um just in in terms of our regular parts that we've been making for many years, you know those programs are basically already in the machines that they're very easy for us to run. Um, you know, and so we you know, we sit down and, and you know once a month at least and and go over usages and we decide, okay, what's you know what do we need to make next? And I mean, it's not easy to it's been a learning curve. It's not easy to keep everything 100% on the shelf because it, it, it still has it has time to run through the machines here. And then everything we make still has an outside process. Uh, They all go out for at least, almost all, go out for at least one process. We don't do any plating or anodize in-house. That's an entirely different thing. Uh, And and all the aluminum and steel stuff goes out for for either um, zinc plating or or anodize. Uh, And then we don't do any engraving in-house. That's done uh, on laser. There's a possibility I might consider adding that someday. Um, But... But for now, anything that gets that gets plating, anodizer, engraving goes to an outside process. So that that's an uncontrollable uh time frame. And we've had that bite us in a few cases where we had lots of parts out. Literally they're done, they're made, we're waiting for an outside process and they have a line go down or whatever, and we're we're stuck a couple extra weeks or whatever. That stuff still happens. Um but you know, we, we we're only really pretty much running our own parts so we can you know we've got very tight control of of quality and tolerances everything comes off the machine exactly the way we want it. Um, there's no rush to do anybody else's parts. We're not a job shop doing you know, have, having anybody you know hounding us to to get things done. it's it's all our stuff. So that that's one of the big advantages is, is every day that machine's running, um, it's running something that's that's putting inventory on our shelf and helping us, you know, support our customers and get product to our customers. But perfect example of the creativity side of it is, is I had tried, that's gotta be five years ago now, working with uh, my machinist when he was running his own shop to prototype and build our own uh, filter head. And the reason for that was we'd had a number of problems with, the the ones we've been using i got a sample here this uh i think you'll be able to see this yeah this is a fairly common filter head this is the chinese version um the us version of this has a has a shiny almost mirror like polish uh and and the us version comes from wix or napa um these are super common filter heads that are used all over the place this is a cast part and we've had a number of problems with those filter heads, over the years, um, the ports on them are pipe thread, and they take a large steel fitting. And if you've ever installed pipe thread and 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 you've ever over tightened pipe thread, you've you've heard the distinctive cracking noise when you <laughs> tighten it too far. We've had plenty of customers do that. There's big bold notes in the instructions not to over tighten them, but. Inevitably, we get those phone calls um, that, that somebody over-tightened it and cracked the head. Oddly enough, on the U.S. ones in this location right here in the center of the top, they've had casting problems, and we've literally had some where you could hold it up to the light, looking through the nipple, the filter side of the of the head, and you and you're literally looking at light coming through the top because the the casting was so poor it has a big crack or a hole in it. Wow. Um, you know, we had numerous. Uh, we had a we had a period where the nipple wasn't straight; it was angled, and you'd screw the filter head on, and and the rubber gasket would contact on one side, and there'd be a big air gap on this side. And no matter how tight you got it, you couldn't seal that, and it would always leak. Uh, just numerous issues over the years with that filter head, and it always frustrated me. So I had drew one up in two D. At the time, I wasn't doing three D software, but I'd done I'd done two D multi view drawing of of a filter head concept, and it was it was a it was a big rectangular piece that was going to be both filter heads because because we run two, we run a pre and a post, and then I figured I'd design a bracket around it and and all the plumbing and everything to go with it, and sent the drawings up to my machinist, and and we talked about it, and he uh, he cut me a prototype one day when he found some time. Because um, prototyping's really expensive time, and you got to get enough downtime, and they spend more time setting the machine up than they do actually running the part. And he calls me, and we're talking about what he'd come up with, and and he, we weren't weren't really digging it as one big piece. And so we decided we we're going to cut it in half and make it two pieces, which would make it more flexible. You could use one, you could use both, um, and actually. I have one of the early prototypes. This this was after it was cut in half um, and and then we had I actually ended up having him add another port on the back that that this piece was mirrored back around here until we cut a section out of the middle of it. Um, But this was one of the early prototypes of of our billet filter head. And um, so he, he sent those down to me. And I started working on trying to design a bracket to mount them in the truck and pretty quickly figured out I didn't care for the design. It was, was going to be a problem to mount. It wasn't going to plumb the way I wanted it to because of the way I was going to have to design the bracket. There, was, there, there were just issues I wasn't happy with. Um, and it kind of got, it shel- it got shelved a little because I was trying to figure out what am I going to do? How am I going to fix this problem? In the meantime, I built a a slight tangent. I built our fuel pump test bench, and I thought, well, we'll use those filter heads on the the test bench, primarily because the other issue with the old filter heads, well, I already mentioned these are pipe thread, changing pipe thread fittings around when you need to reconfigure is a pain in the neck. You got to use Teflon tape, deal with leaks, everything else. And when I designed ours, I designed it with O-ring fittings so I could just unscrew a fitting, screw another fitting in, and it was changed. And so they spent probably two years on the flow bench uh, as I went through all the different fuel pumps and flow testing and all the stuff I did for all that stuff. And then they were just kind of hanging out and I'd kind of forgotten about them. Well, we go and buy a machine shop, basically bring in, you know, CNC lathe, CNC mill, machinist, um, right after all that came in the building we had to play catch up on a bunch of stuff we had we had some product that was down because the machines had been down and getting moved and set up and so we had to we had to get caught up and all of a sudden we find ourselves with time and i happened to glance over it at, at, at the bench and i see the the prototype filter head sitting there and kind of looked at the machinist and said well we've got time let's work on this um and i taught myself 3D drawing in in a week. Well, enough to draw the filter head. Um, so we downloaded, you know, th- you know, 3D CAD software, and and I figured out how to use it well enough to get a, a good diagram, uh, you know, drawing of of what I wanted. You can see on this sample, there's a bunch of sharpie. Yeah. You know? We stood there talking about it in in the machine shop. Okay, what are we going to change with this? How am I going to fix my mounting problem? How, how am I going to make it function the way I need it to function? And we just drew all over it with Sharpie. And then I took it. The Sharpie version is what ended up getting drawn in 3D um, with all the relief cuts out of it and the change from a top mount to a side mount and all the other changes that we made. And uh, it took me about a week to do the drawing. I went down and gave him the drawings with all the dimensions and everything on It, it took him about a week and I had a sample part. Wow. And never could have done that when he was running his own shop or, or if I could have, I would have been paying so much money for, for his time because he'd had, he'd have to have a machine down and, and he couldn't be working on other things because he was working on that. And I mean, machine time is expensive. And so, you know, I mean, it, it took us no time at all. And, you know, one, once that was the case and we've gone through a couple of minor changes since then. Um, but the, the product is actually finished um programs are done we're actually shipping them now um and this is the this is what the final product came out as so quite a quite a big difference from yeah from you, one to the you know, other a square chunk uh to to a completed contour nicely finished anodized laser engraved ready to ship product um, and we make both parts. We make the nipple that goes, you know, for the filter. Uh, that's That gets done on the lathe. The the filter head gets done on the mill. And this is actually one that is in process right now. No deburring, no holes cut into it yet. Uh, this just came off the mill a few days ago. And uh, we're starting to do all the side ports and stuff on those now. So, yeah, the uh, the creativity side of it is really the, the, the big reason we've got a few other things we're tinkering with right now, but haven't finished. Um, but we're hoping that having the equipment here and the machinist here is going to let us accelerate some development for sure.
1: I think that where this, this makes complete sense to someone listening that has a diesel truck, has a power stroke, has any brand that's out there and they're thinking, why'd they start talking about manufacturing and bringing things in house first? Well, I think about what can I buy? What is on your website? What does one of your dealers offer me? What what can I purchase? And I think about the business side and say the barriers that used to be there. Like you'd mentioned the cost of machine time to do a prototype, you have this idea. Well, if you couldn't necessarily capitalize on it before, I'm not gonna be able to buy it from you, fix my truck, not have a leaking filter housing. Well, now you have that ability to take that idea, produce something, and now I can purchase quality product that fixes my problem that wouldn't have existed before. And I'm sure There's examples and ideas you have that probably go for days of things to fix trucks. But I think that's really the importance and the takeaway that I get from it is what you're allowed to do now is unleash those ideas or the things your customers have told you about forever. Hey, I wish there was a solution for this. Well, you can do it if if you want to, and it makes sense. You can make that, make that part.
0: And that's, well, that's part of it. You know, you, you think of things and then you have to think about, Okay, does that make sense? You know, what what kind of time is involved? Whatever yeah. else you know because we've certainly had those thoughts and then and you know items that we kind of quickly threw away and said, well, there's something too close on the market or or I could do it, but it's going to be so astronomically expensive. Nobody's gonna buy it. Um, you know, and there's I mean, there's some shops out there that are doing some of that stuff. I'm familiar with with one shop that is that has done some some billet parts that they will certainly sell some but but the customer that's willing to pay that much money just because it's billet or or just because it's their brand or whatever that there aren't going to be that many of those it's kind of like i don't know it's kind of like the guys that buy you know headers for a 7.3 liter you know the, the the crowd that actually can utilize that and, and 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 that the expenditure makes sense is so minuscule um Well, there's a lot of things, you know, that you could, you could make that they just don't make financial sense. You know, there's, there's other options on the market or, or, or the stock part is not that bad or whatever, that it just doesn't make financial sense unless you just have money to burn basically. Yeah. Which in this economy, I don't know how anybody has money to burn.
1: (laughs) (laughs) One of the uh, things that I heard from our last episode was from a lot of people who are new to diesel on the business side. Maybe they've just had a shop for a year or two. They're thinking about doing it and they really enjoyed the things that you touched on and talked about, about your evolution um, individually with the company, the company's growth, that whole side of it. And I wanted to spend some time talking about that because you, you had um, some really, really good thoughts about one of the big things that I think comes up, especially in automotive. I've always seen it. I almost want to say that the diesel industry was built off of competition And it can be healthy and it can be negative. And you had talked or mentioned before the podcast to me about competition versus collaboration. And I think this goes hand in hand with manufacturing that we talked about and things that you can do, but also for the people out there who are interested or in this industry, or maybe they're not, maybe they're in construction or something else because the business principle is the same. And I'm really passionate about this topic as well. I wanted to ask you about your thoughts as it relates to that point in time you come to as a business owner when it's about competition, setting your you know company apart in the customer's eyes and then collaborating with either people you might have a relationship, maybe they're competitors, maybe the two companies don't like each other, the two owners don't like each other. What are your thoughts about that dynamic?
0: Well, uh, I've certainly lived both sides of that. I mean, when I got into this business in 2001, I was uh, quite a bit younger than I am now, and you know, when when you're young and ambitious, uh, you know, the, you want it all. You know, you you want every you want every sale you can get. You want you want everybody to to be buying your part, or you know, buying you know if it's somebody else's part, buying it from you. I mean, you know, I think we talked last time about you know, the forums, because that's really where a lot of us started back then. It's all kind of moved to Facebook now, but I still see some of the same behavior. I, you know, I remember the, you know, somebody would go mention TurboBack exhaust and you'd have every vendor on the forum, buy it for me, buy it for me. I'll sell it to you cheaper. I'll ship it for, f-. I mean, it was, it was just, it was like a barf of as many pick me, pick me, pick me's as you could possibly imagine. I still see the same stuff on on facebook these days and and you know it's now that i'm older and and hopefully more mature uh i uh, i see a lot of it and i think it doesn't look so good now you know back in the day when when that's what you know when that's what we were all doing it's, that's what we were all doing and, and there's still plenty of people that do it but but now i look at it and i go that just i don't know it doesn't it doesn't Speak well, you know. When every, every time somebody even breathes something, somebody's jumping up and down. Pick me, I, you know, whatever. Um, and some of that type of behavior led to, you know, a number of different kind of situations that I guess I would say involved animosity. Um, you know, back in the forum days, uh, I certainly had uh, some uh, unfriendly competition with some other guys in the business at the time. Um, you know, we would, we would go back and forth and I don't want to say trash talk cause I got, I hope I never came across as though it, as a trash talker, but I'm sure we went back and forth and, you know, in an, in an aggressive enough manner that people could tell there wasn't any love. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, it took a lot of years for me to, to back off of that and, and, and kind of switch gears and think differently about it. And, and, you know some of those people are my friends now and and i i wouldn't have it any other way and and that's kind of why the whole competition versus collaboration thing strikes me as funny because i've gone through it never thought of it in that manner never 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 put it to words just just distinctly remember a time when i was when i was anti anybody that wasn't my business you know you should buy it from me or you should buy my product or whatever to a point where now I I buy stuff or sell stuff with other businesses that are technically competitors. Um you know and and so you know I I I sell products to to one of my oldest technically one of my oldest competitors in the business still buy some stuff from me and and we've certainly spent enough buying from him and uh so you know that that relationship improved we we quit being competitive we quit being um petty over different things and instead we now trade business we're still technically competitors on a particular product line and that's great and if people call me and ask well you know i say you need to look at the differences and understand what they sell versus what we sell and you make a decision of what you know what you feel will work best for you or or whatever design you feel is is, is right. And, you know, I'm not, I don't, I won't trash talk uh, a competitor in that realm. Uh, I, I've given that up um, many, many years ago. I'll answer questions. Honestly, if somebody says, well, what do you think of this versus that? Not from a brand perspective, but from a design perspective, if I have a, an opinion there, but, but I still tell people go to your own research, you know, understand what you're talking about, understand both configurations or whatever it is, and then make your own mind up. And if you make your own mind up and make an informed decision, great, then you're probably not gonna go wrong.
1: Do you think that competition, I see it especially, well, there are some companies that have been around a while that are competitors and I don't know if they don't like each other, I just think they don't. But (laughs) do you think it's something that you do early on where, because you think about it, there might be 10 other, 30 other places that either sell the same product or make the same product and you have this huge buying public that's out there and they're wanting you to work for that sale. And it's the easy route to say, well, I'm better than theirs because of X, Y, Z, or that one's junk, or, you know, I've heard of too many failures, you need to buy mine. It's more of a short-term sort of, let me grab the sale now sort of aspect to it. Or, Or when does it, how does it start? And then when does it transition to seeing the bigger picture of collaboration?
0: I can't speak for anybody else uh, and and, and I I'm, I'm not even sure I can tell you exactly when I grew up so to speak um I just think yeah I I I like I said I can't even tell you when I had that epiphany I just I just know I I went through it I know all of a sudden I realized this this really isn't the right way to do this this to me, it didn't reflect well on me when when I stood back and 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 thought, well, if I'm going to say, well, don't buy their stuff, it's crap. Um, that does, that's that's not an, that's not a reason, um, and 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 I haven't provided I haven't provided data. I haven't given them any. I haven't given them anything, and and I kind of came to the conclusion that that I'm better off selling my product. Look, this is what I sell. This is why we make it the way we make it. This is how we make it. This is, you know, whether it's, whether it's promoting us manufacturing, whether it's promoting a, a design difference, whether it's, you know, whatever it is, I, I would rather sell my product and tell you about my product and why it is, is the way it is and, and, and whatever, than talk about somebody else's. If you want to know about somebody else's product, I'm really not the person to ask and, and, and this is why we don't buy competitors' products. I, I if If I've seen a competitor's product, it's because it came in into our shop installed on somebody's vehicle. Um, and so otherwise, I don't buy competitors' products. Uh, I'm not interested. It's uh, we we do our thing and 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 we do it to the best of our ability, whether it's whether it's design choices, whether it's manufacturing methods, you know, product choices, material choices, whatever. Um, <clears throat> we're known for being more expensive than a bunch of people in the market. And, 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 I'm not apologetic about that. Um, because I feel like it's, it's things like this that are the reason we're more expensive. The, the cost difference between these two things is significant. Yeah. Um, the reason for it. And 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 the benefits difference is significant. I didn't build my own filter head because I just wanted something else that had my name on it. There was no point in doing that. You know, I I took I took a fairly expensive product already and drove the price up on it. Some people would go, well, that's not really good business. You're making it harder. But but I needed to improve the product. There there were a number of issues with the current product. And i was tired of the tech support problems and i was tired of customers being upset at certain things and so i said you know what the only way to fix it is to design my own because there was no other option in the market i was happy with and if if people want what i consider to be the best product on the market then they're going to have to absorb a a little additional cost to have it you know and, and and i will now not get all those tech support calls and and have all those problems from customers, whether it's leaks, whether it's cracks, whether it's poor casting quality, whether it's filters that don't seal, all the things that that other situation brought me are gone. Um, And so, but that costs more. And and so I will sell you that. I will talk to you about why I changed that. I have competitors that are still using that other filter head or some others. that's their choice, I, you know, I'm not I'm not talking badly about them, That that's their choice, and if that fits their support model and they don't mind sending replacement parts or telling a customer, oh, well, I guess you screwed it up, you're gonna have to go buy a new one or whatever, however they do it, that's on them, that's not how we operate. I, I would rather send you a product that when you put it on, 99.9% chance you're not gonna have a problem out of the box first install, and, and, and I'd rather get less tech support calls, even if that means the product costs more to begin with.
1: Do you think that this is, I'd say a bigger picture in the diesel industry. Do you think that what maybe has changed or made people more open to the collaboration side is what has happened with performance emissions, carb things we talked about on the first podcast to where maybe it gave a perspective for businesses that our enemy isn't necessarily the guy who builds the same product that we do, or they're not the ones that are changing things as much. It's something that's bigger. So we should collaborate with each other. We should come up with these ideas. Maybe we can help each other so that we do things in a way that we can get a CARB number or we can have these emission testing things. Do you think that over the last, I don't know, five to 10 years has made the business side more open to collaboration than it was before?
0: It wouldn't surprise me. Um, but I, Personally, I don't know if that's a a big reason. I'm sure that certain companies probably with with what's going on with EPA are collaborating more with certain other companies. Maybe because their products go hand in hand, and together they're likely to get targeted, and so they're 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 potentially working like like the tuning side maybe more working with people who do. I don't know, injectors or turbos or whatever yeah. in trying to figure out how do we, how do we navigate this such that our customers can purchase a, a, a quality aftermarket product that serves a purpose, but at the same time, you know, we're going to, we're going to be compliant. We're going to, we're not going to, you know, have EPA visits causing us headaches, whatever it might be. So there's probably aspects of the business that are collaborating more, but, but I don't know that, that everybody across the the board would be collaborating more based just on EPA. I think really the thing that probably more than anything drives the the maturity change of going from I need to be competitive with everybody, I need to beat everybody, I need to talk crap about them so I can sell me. I think the maturity change comes when people realize there's enough business out here for all of us. There are so many, you know, diesel trucks on the market. And there are, there are tons and tons of both manufacturers and retail or service or, you know, performance shops or whatever you want to call them. That, you know, all of us should be able to operate in this space and not be hating on each other. I'll give you a funny story. Nate and I merged. I think we talked about this in the first podcast in 2010. We took my my e-com store and his service and repair shop. And when we merged, we moved into a 15,000 square foot building, just a few miles from where we are today. Apparently that upset another local diesel shop um, that was, I want to say they were a mile, maybe a mile and a half from us. It upset him bad enough that he made bumper stickers for us. And so if I'm sure they're not as popular today as they used to be, but but you used to see the uh, the Calvin stickers with Calvin peeing on one thing or another. Yeah, Yeah, we had uh, Calvin peeing on Strictly Diesel logo stickers full color. Not not just a a simple white cutout like full color. Oh, and, and he had renamed us it was calvin pissing on shitty diesel that's right i forgot about that that's the kind of behavior and and maybe that was even maybe the beginning again could be that that was the beginning of me starting to realize why would we why would anybody do that yeah. i mean this guy spent money to to hand out stickers talking crap about us and we literally never done anything to him and in fact the funny thing is until we found out about that We were sending him business because he worked on heavy stuff. He worked on buses and dump trucks and big rigs. And and if anybody called us for that, nope, but there's a guy about a mile up the road that'll that'll take care of you. And we were sending people his way. And then one day our mailman walks in and hands us one of these stickers that he picked up off the guy's counter because he delivered mail over there as well and just said, have you seen these? So. Talk about maybe not good business because now who were we certainly not going to refer people yeah. to? Yeah, you know. And so uh, I don't. Uh, there's been enough. I mean, we we've experienced enough hate in our direction, and and certainly in my early days. Uh, again, I hope I hope I was never bad enough that anybody would have called it hate. But but I know I know in my early days I was competitive enough that you know that I would probably have been one of the ones going oh go don't don't go buy that you know buy this and but not being necessarily professional about it um and so uh, that's the kind of stuff i i guess i hope people maybe grow out of more quickly as as new businesses come into play and you know cuz it's been a whole lot more fun in this business since i made friends with you know some of those some of those people that i was very competitive with you know in, in the early early days and and some of them have gone by you know they they've left the business they're not in it anymore And, uh, and some of them still are, and, and, and a bunch of them are, are my friends now. And, and so, you know, I'd rather be there. It's a whole lot more fun to pick up the phone and call and, Hey, how's it going? And, you know, how's the kids and, and you, you know, these people personally, and you've made a relationship out of it than to be like, screw that guy and don't buy any of his stuff. He's, he, he builds nothing but junk. Why? I
1: think I, I, I really identify with this. It's it's a little bit different because we do a podcast about media, it's about topics, and we weren't the first diesel podcast. There was another one, and I remember when we first started out. I didn't know what I was doing. I wasn't. I didn't go to college to do journalism or how to speak or any of that. I just thought, well, I like to talk trucks. I know some people. It'd be really cool to do this. And we go through the process of it, and you know, there's a couple more that are out there, and a couple more. And I would hear some things that were either set on air or off air that would kind of ignite that competitive spirit that i have and you know one of the things that we can look at to see well how many people listen who's interested is you can look at the charts you can see where do you rank on itunes where do you rank on spotify all this sort of stuff and you know internally we're like let's do the best job we can let's you know cover all these topics and it was fuel for a really long time and then maybe it was a year or two ago is i'm looking at itunes and in automotive and it used to be you know, th- there would be some diesel podcasts there. There'd be a lot more gas vehicles. Well, all of a sudden I start to see five or 10 EV podcasts on there and there's somewhere between a and 60. Well, then I start to see them peak into the top 10, which be into the top 10, you're getting a lot of plays, a lot of downloads. Sure. And I started to think, okay, we're fighting with each other. Not, not really fighting, but you know, there's a healthy competition there. But there's this whole other wave of people. I don't think there's enough EVs out there to really peek it into the top 10, but there's enough people interested that it's doing it. So instead of maybe going after each other or trying to one-up each other with a guest or a topic or a comment, as long as they're listening to something about diesel, whether it's me or somebody else, they're listening about diesel. That's what really matters versus the other thing. So it just clicked in my mind. Okay, this is bigger than, diesel trucks or Ford or GM or Cummins or whatever it might be. There's this whole other way of getting from point A to point B that we need to focus on. How do we reach new people? How do we either produce content or have a guest or topics that appeal to somebody who may not own a diesel, but they hear a conversation or a story and they think I'm going to buy that instead of that Tesla, or I'm going to buy that instead of this other EV. So that's the kind of epiphany that hit me. That got me thinking bigger than just myself or just what I talk about was more of the industry as a whole and how can I help it? What can I do to bring people interested? And if you listen to the other ones, great, you're going to get content from them, but what's important is to pull new people in so we can continue to grow and continue to have enthusiasts. Yep. So that's a, yeah, you know,
0: it's, it's funny. So a while back I, uh, I was working on finalizing, the kit changes that we had to make when we converted from the cast filter head to the built filter head. And I needed to test fit on a bunch of vehicles. And of course we've got a 10 bay shop out there and we've constantly got stuff around. And so I nailed down most of the configurations I did just with vehicles that were in our parking lot or in the shop being worked on already, that was easy. But I had a short list of harder to find um, configurations and 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 before i was comfortable releasing i I wanted to test fit in those and i put a message out on facebook and said basically you know if anybody in my friend group here in town has a truck of one of these i think there was like maybe four or five configurations and the configuration would be by year like it'd be a it'd be an obs and maybe it was a a crew cab short bed um which aren't super popular or common Uh, or whatever. So there was like four or five of them that I I needed to track down so I could finalize installation notes on them. And I got a couple of regular customer responses pretty quickly. And then a local shop uh, actually quite close to us um, popped up and said, hey, I've got, I think, several of the ones on your list. If you just want to come look at them over here. That's exactly the type of thing that – that I'm talking about, you know, he got it. it. It wasn't a case of, Oh, I hate those guys. You know, um, you know, we he, he offered to allow me to go over there. I ended up spending some time talking business with the guy, you know, I didn't know him. had never met him before. Didn't even really realize they were there. I think they had just moved in not long prior. Um, but you know, good way to start a relationship, a positive relationship is, something along those lines, you know, they helped me out. I got, I got to look at some of the, some of the vehicle configurations I needed. I made sure they knew we were here if they needed anything, you know, just around the corner, if they couldn't find something, maybe we'd have it in stock or if they needed anything we made, let us know like perfect example of, of a great way to handle a situation, you know, versus, versus the competitive nature of some people, which would be, I'm not going to help them screw them. They can figure it out themselves. And, uh, you know and so i don't know it's it, it i'm happy to see that going on and uh and certainly you know we've had much better relationships with other shops you know in in the last few years than i would say we had you know numerous years ago it seems like a lot of people that are around still that have been around for a while have kind of gone through the same thing we all get in and we're and we're charging hard and we want to you know, we want to take over the world and be on top of the mountain and then and then at some point you kind of grasp the there's more than enough business out here and now you know I mean we get along great with so many of the local shops here that that we used to feel more competitive with and and it'd be nice it'd be nice for people to figure that out more quickly and for all of us to have you know better, business to business relationships. It's not like we even need to buy or sell anything to each other, you know, but sometimes you need a place to call for advice. And, and you know, we've, we've got people that will call us and we've got people who will call if we run into something that we're just not sure about. And that's kind of how it should be, you know.
1: That's a really good point. And I, I noticed that um, myself with, I had reached out to uh, another podcast and um, I wanted to have them on to talk about, you know, their business and what they do. And it surprised me so much because when I talked to him on the phone, it was like a long-lost friend. But I had never talked to this person before. But we both had these things in common where they had ideas, I had ideas, and we were able to exchange them, talk about things, I think inspire each other. And it was just an eye-opening experience to me because we both are operate in the same space from different angles. But it was just like, wow, there's somebody out there who understands the challenges and what we're going through. And this is how you tackle it. Well, this is how I tackle it. And I think it made both of us better. And I can definitely understand it you know, on my side. But then also through what you explained, I get it. And I think that'll really help a lot of people that are out there. Maybe they've been in business for 20, 30 years and they haven't thought about it that way. But I think there's a lot of, of, of benefit from a creative standpoint from offering better products to the customers from either, you know, sometimes you need something, you don't have it. And another business does, and and you're looking for something. So I think there's a tremendous amount of value there for people to take and consider that as, as an option to either grow their business or we hear about in racing all the time. I always have racers on and they always tell me in the pits, it's like one big family, somebody from a team I'm racing comes over and helps me loans me tools, loans me an engine (laughs) and I think seeing that more on the business side or the media side, or it it would just, I think it would take this everything even farther than what we've imagined is doing a little bit like the racers do a
0: little bit of sportsman mentality. Yeah. 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 goes a long way. I mean, I got to imagine that maybe that happens less in the, or maybe not. I don't know. In in the highly sponsored big money pro Mm -hmm. racing ranks. But, uh, but, but in terms of, you know, what my experience is, which is sportsman drag racing, you know, of, of a variety of types. Um, uh, yeah. Exact same experience. People in the pits are all about helping each other and, you know, and, and, you know, if somebody's having a problem, somebody else is concerned and, and, you know, are they okay? Or can we help or that? Why can't we be that same way in business? You know, I mean, I've, I've reached out to other business owners. I know guys in town here who, who I've become friends with and, you know, who, who maybe I thought were struggling and said, Hey, you know, if, if, if you want to run ideas by, or you want to talk about, you know, things or whatever, you know, I mean, we've, we've been around a long time. I mean, you know, the service side of this business started in 2005 and the, and the part side of this business started in 2001 and that's two different people. I mean, Nate Nate has his own set of experience and, and I have mine. And so, you know, combined, we have an awful lot of years of, ups and downs and you know certainly we've had times where where you know we struggled and other times where we're doing phenomenally and it's a lot of experience. You know, why why would I not help somebody, you know, the given the opportunity that that's just trying to do the same thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly.
0: One of the uh
1: things that I think I do really well is know our audience and know what they want. And I know somebody's listening out there and saying, hey, you guys talked about that filter housing. mine's leaking. What year does Dennis have products for that 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 fits? So before I wanted to ask you on the podcast what you showed us earlier, what engines, what year range does that uh, filter housing fit?
0: So that the filters are used in a couple of different things. Uh, probably one of the oldest products we sell, most of the seven three guys will know it as a Hutch mod kit, but it's it's a single filter that uh, that replaces some screens in the fuel tank of the ninety nine to oh three seven three trucks. Um, we sell we've sold that for twenty something years, um, and so that that filter housing has been retrofitted. Our, we're, our current kits are using the new filter housing. It's not a direct replacement, so like if somebody had an one of our old kits with the old cast filter and they were having an issue. Um, we're, we haven't gotten to where we're, we're offering any kind of upgrade kits or something, but I, I would, I would talk to somebody if it was a, if it was a concern. Um, but, but we, but, and then th- the rest of the kits are uh, 94 to 97 old body style electric fuel system conversion kit is now retrofitted using the billet filters. Um, and then uh OBS 7.3, Super Duty 7.3, uh, and Super Duty 6.0 liter, we offer a couple of different fuel pump kits uh, for the performance crowd that use those filter heads along with either a, a dual Bosch pump setup or a fuel lab race pump setup, depending on what their what their needs are for fueling and how much injector they're supporting or whatever. Um, so it's 7.3 it's and 6.0 trucks are where we're using it right now don't know if I'll find a use for it in anything else. Um, you know, it's not something we've really explored, but, uh, but it's certainly a possibility. Um, you know, right now we're just trying to ramp up production and, and keep up with the demand on what we've been building with the cast filter heads, which I just would order, you know, I think we were getting 120 of those a month. Um, if I remember right, you know, so I've got, I've got to ramp up, CNC machine time and 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 get to where we can support that level just to support our current product offerings and then we'll start figuring out are we going to sell them individually for people that need to upgrade an old kit or are we going to expand and offer something for another application we're we're kind of in the in the still getting the old kits updated to the new kits and making sure we can support the demand phase right now
1: i keep hearing a lot from companies that are on the demand that they're getting from their potential customers or customers for seven, three upgrades. And that kind of took me back for a little second or for a bit, because I thought, you know, to me, it was a truck from, you know, my, t- my teenage years, maybe early college <laughs> years. And I think of a life cycle. I'm like, so you guys are ramping up, you know, production or people are asking for things or they're still buying these products. And it, it just, I think it's one thing that I'll never get used to with diesel is if I feel like they don't have a shelf life. I feel like it's not like the gas world where something comes out with 20 more horsepower and then that's the greatest thing. It's just, I don't know how to explain it, but it's just something I think is really cool. Like I wouldn't feel I didn't have the right truck if it was something built in the mid or late nineties, or early two thousands. I wouldn't feel like that. I think that's probably one of the reasons I love these trucks so much.
0: Well, it's almost a cult following kind of a thing. I mean, you know, you got Harley guys and you got, you know, vw bug guys and and then you got you know diesel guys and the diesel guys tend to be i mean i, I probably not just diesel guys but i mean automotive guys in general tend to be you know brand focused you yeah. know your your grandfather or your father or somebody you know what for whatever reason you're attached to a particular brand or you're attached to a particular engine maybe you don't give a crap about dodge trucks but you're a, a huge cummins fan um you know, or, or whatever it might be. And so I, you know, and, and I think what's happened with the seven threes, like when I first got into the business, this, the super duty was just a thing. Um, you know, the, the OBS, the 94 to 97 trucks had been out for a bit. Um, but, but the super duty was, was just born. And, um, you know, for the time they were expensive, uh I mean, by today's standards, they're, they're a deposit, but, (laughs) um, but, but back then, I mean, that was an expensive truck and, you know, now they're 20 years old and they've got a lot of miles on them. They're solid trucks in a lot of cases, depending on what part of the country they're from, um, you know where, you know the body's still in good shape, the frame's still in good shape. A lot of people do suspension stuff anyway, like you know mild lift kits or whatever. So some of that doesn't really matter. Um, and you know, so it's so it's still a solid platform. And if you've got a good running engine, or or you're willing to 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 build something because now you got the truck, you know, fairly inexpensive because it's old. You know, it's it's a great platform now to tinker on. So the, and and I think I think you kind of couple that coming back around to the EPA stuff, with with there's a lot of people that aren't necessarily interested in dealing with all the emissions equipment, don't want to deal with DEF, you know whatever, and so they're looking at the older trucks, and and they're they're revitalizing them, you know they're they're ha- they're either doing it themselves or having shops, you know, go through the engines and freshen them up and build trans and whatever, so that they can drive that truck a bunch more miles. Um, and I get that. I mean, I'm, I've, I've got my own project. I'm basically doing the same thing on, on a 20, well, going to be 24 year old truck. So yeah, they're, uh, they're still pretty popular. And the six liter, oddly enough, the six liter started out great initially. Then of course we went through that period where they were all falling apart. Every last one of them had blown head gaskets and, you know, they were a nightmare and, and, and the entire world was don't buy one. Um, and then there was the, you know, the age of, okay, you know, head studs and this and that, and, and then you're, and the six liters kind of come back around because people have figured out the damn motor will make good power. Um, you know, there, there's enough quality upgrade products out there now to kill the the common problems. You can get the truck more affordably now than you could back then. And so you might be willing to put the 10 grand in the motor to do head studs and, all the other things that need to be done. And so even the six liters have, have gotten, I think more popular lately than they were a while back because there's so much out there for them and the trucks have become less expensive and more affordable to get.
1: I think that's one of the biggest success stories of anything I've ever covered in diesel is the six liter because that was my perception as well. They came out, it was great, made more power than a seven three. Then you had, I don't know how long it was where nobody wanted to touch them. And then they started to make a comeback. And I think about trucks today, I'm either, I don't have the money, but if I did, just buying a brand new truck outright, oh, or I'm God. financing it at a horrible interest rate, right. or I can go buy something that I think is undervalued because the average person thinks on a six liter, it's not reliable. Oh, they can be reliable now with the upgrades that are out there. I can make good power. And I don't have to spend all that money. So it's, I always hear from the six leader guys. Anytime we do any episode related to Ford's. it's talk about the six Oh, and then the seven threes. So we hear from them as well. So it's, it's something I love talking about them. I've never personally owned one, but I've learned a lot on the podcast. I've learned a lot through chatting with you about the things you guys do. And it's, it's incredibly exciting. Um, i before before we go i did want to ask you if people have some questions either about you know the filter housing we talked about some of the other products you guys have they want to chat with you guys talk about their truck what is the best way for them to connect with strictly diesel connect with the team there ask questions and be able to get the help that they need
0: you can get us on any of the modern methods i mean obviously the phone which nobody seems to want to use anymore um uh, but I mean we've got we've got email info at strictlyly diesel.com um, you can we've got a, a web comment for, or a communication form right it on the contact page I think of uh, of, of the website strictlydiesel.com. We've got Instagram, we've got Facebook and you can message us on those. People hit us every different way. so whatever you're we even get messages through Google, which I still think is kind of strange but pe- people have Google accounts and they actually send us messages through them and that that one's baffling to me but <laughs> – Um, but yeah, I mean all all the popular methods, but but probably the easiest way to find any contact information is to hit strictlydesel.com. Um and you know, you'll you'll find you can see all of our product there, but then you'll find address, phone, email, every possible contact method you could want. Uh and we try to put a bunch of stuff up there too to answer questions. You know, I've I've got tech articles up there both on tech support related stuff like, hey, I bought your product, I'm having a problem. Well, I've been answering those questions for over 20 years now, I finally got smart and put them down in writing. So hopefully people can go through a kind of a step by step drill down of follow this. And this is what I'm going to tell you to do on the phone anyway. So now you've got it in writing, and you can, you know, read it a few times or, or whatever to get through it. And then I've also got you know some articles up there on on product selection or, or or why did we do this or how come how come our stuff's more expensive than say somebody else's stuff or whatever. So there's a lot of content, good stuff at our website um, that, that that hopefully will answer most of their questions. But but we are more than happy. Pick up the phone, send us an email. We do everything we can to to get all those questions answered. And and like I said, I I, I at the end of the day, you know, sure we want you to buy our stuff, but if you if you if you, whether you buy ours or not, we want you to make an informed decision. And so, you know, as long as we're getting you the information you need and you're making an informed decision, you should be making one that's, that's right for you.
1: I'm very appreciative of the time that we can spend talking about so many different topics, because I know if I just went down to Arizona and walked in, I probably wouldn't get you for a full hour to talk about all these different things, but people are really curious. they want to know, um, different aspects to your business, the products you're making, why you make it, um, your passion for a platform, and it's incredibly insightful and helpful. So I appreciate you chatting with us today. Um, I had a great time on the on the first podcast. I had a, a, an equally great time on the second one. I, I love to hear the, the experiences that you have and the insights, because I know they touch so many different parts of diesel, whether we're a truck owner wanting a product or we're a business owner, or we're not even in diesel, but we're struggling with how do we grow it? Or how do we do this? Or should I network with people? So it was a uh, really insightful and, and I appreciate the conversation today, Dennis.
0: I appreciate you having me. And yeah, I agree. I, I think a lot of what we talked about doesn't have to have anything to do with the diesel business at all, regardless of what business you're in, you know, try, try to figure out how to coexist with the other people in your business and and you know become friends and 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 you know if you help them along you know th- then you're you're likely you know to 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 see some reciprocity and you know whether it's them or somebody else is going to help you along when you need it and that's kind of i don't know it's kind of a good method for life i think so
1: Don't forget diesel fans, make sure and head on over to kershaw.kaiusa.com. Use code diesel2023 for 20% off site wide. It's a great way to save some money, get some really cool gear. So if you're in the market for a knife or hunting, fishing, EDC, something around the job site, around the house, they've definitely got you covered with a bunch of new releases in 2023. So head on over, check them out and use code diesel2023 for 20% off your order also want to give a shout out to some of our Patreon supporters, Tyler Lowen of 23Diesel, John, J. Cole, all of our other Patreon supporters, all of you who subscribe on YouTube and podcast apps, follow us on social media. We appreciate all your support here in year seven of the diesel podcast and look forward to bringing you more of the content that you want to hear in 2023. Until next time, keep the shiny side up.